Hello, I'm Jim Salverson and welcome to Sound Business, a podcast all about sound from VoiceWorks. This episode of the podcast is a bit different to normal. It's the very first of a new occasional series you'll find on this feed called Five Things I Learnt From Radio. Rather than the usual deep dive into audio news, techniques and technology, instead these shows are going to look a little closer into the minds of some of the individuals who have had a real impact on the radio landscape and ask what they've taken away from their time in the industry. First up to share his five lessons from radio is Roger Cutsforth. Roger has a career in commercial radio that stretches back to the early 90s and he also held the much esteemed position of Radio Academy CEO for three years back in 2015. He's now doing his own thing with his own production company and his own podcast, all of which we'll get into shortly as Roger shares his five things he learnt from radio. Roger Cutsforth, welcome to Sound Business. How are you and where are you? I'm in Nottingham at the minute, Jim, and uh, uh, nice to be here. Yeah, I'm at my uh, son and daughter-in-law's in Nottingham. Very nice. Now, we've kind of crossed paths a few times throughout your career. Um, currently, you're with White Label Studios and the host of your own podcast, The For Real Podcast, which we'll talk about a little bit later. It's a podcast all about finding your voice, but you've worked at Bauer in North Yorkshire as a sales director. You were chair of Distorted, the production company in Leeds, eight years with Global as MD of various local operations and, of course, CEO of the Radio Academy as well. A wide and varied career. But what I didn't know about you, Roger, and I want to start with this, is that your professional life started in the RAF. So where did the yeah. love for audio first appear? I, I can't say that I, I had a love for audio in as much as it was something that I'd always wanted to do or whatever. My career in the Air Force was one where I'd got thrown out of college for lack of attendance uh, and my father decided I was um, throwing my life away and he'd been in the Air Force. So he dragged me down to the RAF careers office and six weeks later I was in. And, and to be honest, it was all a bit of a whirlwind. I don't really uh, remember that much. But when I came out of the Air Force... I got into directory advertising sales and I, I happened into that, Jim, to be honest, because the guy that was doing the interviews at the time was ex-Air Force and he thought, oh, well, he must be all right, he's ex-RAF. So I, I got into that. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a not dissimilar story when I got into radio. I started at Viking FM, which was part of Metro Radio Group at the time, in about um, 91 yeah, last century, that's a bit scary. Um, <laughs> and um, the guy that was interviewing me was called Morris Dobson. And Morris was big into his football, and I played a little bit of football at that time and um, played against the team that he supported. And so we talked about football. I ended up getting into into radio then. And, and, and my love for it sort of grew from there, really. I did, I, it wasn't something... I'd ever really known mm. when I'd been in the Air Force. I'd done quite a lot of traveling around and there was a, there was a kind of pirate station that was out at sea called Laser 558, which had loads of American presenters on and, and, and was pretty cool. And, and I loved that and used to listen to that, but never in a way where I thought, Oh, that's something I wanted to do. As I say, I just happened into it just through my football career. We're going to talk about the five lessons you've learned from your career in radio slash audio shortly, but. I think there's something about people who have served in the forces where that part of their life is imprinted on their 
lives and careers following that massively. Which would you say had had the biggest influence? Obviously, the time in the RAF was tiny compared to your time you spent in radio. Which one do you think has had the most impact on you? I think, it's hard to say. I think in terms of who I am as a person, initially, as I say, my, my dad had kind of dragged me into going down to the careers office and I ended up in the Air Force and then he used a bit of reverse psychology on me, which was, um, you'll never make it through the first train, uh, the basic training. And I thought, well, I'll show you. And that, that was kind of as being a bit of a motivator, if I'm honest with myself throughout my life, whenever anyone's suggested that I can't do something, then I've wanted to be able mm. to prove people wrong. And that kind of continued into radio as well. I think though, because I've spent so much of my life within radio and had so many experiences good and bad i think it's that that's really kind of shaped who i am as a as a person today and the experiences that it's given me and meeting such a diverse group of people that you're privileged to do within um, within radio has, has really shaped me well, I'm sure we're going to touch on some of those good and bad experiences over the next 20 minutes or so, because what we've asked you to do in this series is pick five life lessons that you've learnt from your time in audio. We're going to go through them in turn, dig into them a little bit, find out where they've come from and also how they've helped you and potentially, hopefully, how they can help other people as well. So you've picked these five lessons, Roger. What's lesson number one? Lesson number one is you can't please all of the people all of the time, so stop trying. And it's one I actually saw on a dinner map, believe it or not, a place a place map for a dinner table. I think it's attributed to someone like Robert Mitchum or someone like that. And and it, it resonated with me at the time because I would struggle with any kind of criticism. And therefore, I, all I was seeking to do most of my working life, but also in my personal life as well, was just be trying to please people all of the time. And, and, and I just realized that actually some people... I just never going to get you and, and, and don't want to get you. And that's okay because we're all different. And when I stopped trying to please all the people all the time and just did what I felt was right or took advice or went in a certain direction, I found that I was A, happier and B, more successful if, if I can call it success. Does that give you more of a license to follow your gut? I guess, if you're not trying to appease the masses, does it give you more of an ability to trust what you really feel? Yeah, it does. And I had to kind of modify that as data and insight became so much more part of my life professionally. And rather than seeking information or data that just corroborated what my gut feeling was i would start to genuinely which is always a temptation right isn't it it's like yeah well this is what i believe how do i back this up yeah i mean politicians are great aren't yeah they? <laughs> uh, and you, you you end up being in this kind of uh, world where everything in your world is right and everyone else's world is wrong so yeah it did i was very much a a, a gut instinct kind of person and and still am but kind of opened myself up to being able to see the bigger picture as well through data and insight as i mentioned but i i am certainly my initial thing is my gut instinct is telling me to do this so let's do that i mean you're sort of approaching this from a management slash communication slash people point of view in the idea that you can't please all of the people all of the time but i guess this could be applied also from a radio point of view and the idea that if you try to appeal to the masses then you end up 
creating a product that actually no one's really interested in and no one really likes and podcasting particularly that's a medium that celebrates the niche it really benefits to focus down on a topic you worked with global for a a long time eight years or so that's an organization that really knows the power of a brand and being able to focus an audience do you think you picked up anything from your time there in terms of being able to drill down into a very specific audience yeah definitely and i think it goes back beyond global really and into my days at chrysalis radio and at galaxy yorkshire particularly and i was privileged to to be working with a very talented breakfast show at that time was hearst's daily dose and one of the features or one of the things that they would talk about is if you don't like it then you're barred rather than trying to please everybody on that they would take an approach with listeners if, if you're complaining about it or whatever okay that's fine just turn us off and, and i loved that kind of sense of this is unashamedly who we are and what we stand for you may not like it and that's fine lots of people do so if you don't then just go away and and so they will be able to be strong in who they are and then when i look at global and some of the fantastic things they've done in the industry about being strong and assertive making a decision because they felt it was right the insight told them that it was right and then just going for it i mean it can be quite brutal and shocking at times when you just think wow they just kind of take it going from this kind of centerpiece of the road and then just go no this is what we're going to do and we're going to do it. And, and i love that commitment that they have to and belief in what they're doing is right let's move on to thing number two that you've learned what's your second life lesson i, I, I put it down and uh, forgive the language but don't be a <laughs> dick um I, I i had the um I had the pleasure of working with capital in the East Midlands. And the police at that time had taken out a a campaign against drink driving. And they were on these beer mats. And it was a similar thing, I I, I think. Hang on, Roger, is everything you learned from either a beer mat or a table mat? (laughs) It's all come back to the same (laughs) (laughs) place. I'd never thought about that, Jim, but it's a really good point. <laughs> Food and drink. There you know my secrets. <laughs> and and it, it was that same thing. And, and, and I just, for me, I found that in this industry, and I think in, in life generally, some people feel that there's a need to get on or be successful by being mean or nasty or derogatory or treading on other people's toes. And I just don't buy into that philosophy at all. So for me is just generally in life just don't be a dick it's succinct it's to the point and i agree it's very very important as well i'm interested to know whether this has come from your experiences with dealing with people who you think have been dicks or whether there's an element of self-reflection here as well is there some point in your career when you had to look at yourself and go hang on this isn't right this isn't the way i should be behaving absolutely Absolutely. It's come from both of those through dealing with people who I thought were, you know, just being uh, out of order and unnecessary. I think a little bit from being in football changing rooms where, you know, you just can't be because you'll just Mm. get slaughtered a little bit in the Air Force as well. That same sense of it. But also, I think earlier on in my career, as I was trying to carve my own path within it, I think at times I was. And certainly when I first got into management, I, you know, that gut instinct again, there was me like being, well, you know, this is not what we're doing and I'm not doing that because 
blah 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 and I was just being just a bit of an arse really instead of just focusing on that so definitely um, but to be honest Jim it was I went through a period where I'll be open about it I, I suffered with depression and anxiety actually and it was you know I came into into Chris's radio group at the time and I was undergoing counselling and then mm. um, on some medication as well. And, and and at that time, I'd got myself into such a state that that self-reflection looking at, okay, yeah, I'd had unfortunate things happen to me. But that period of self-reflection was going, actually, yeah, you were a dick, Rog. And uh, so looking at that and then making some changes about who I was and what I wanted to be was certainly something that then I carried forward when talking to people who may be going through a similar kind of difficult time. Lesson number three is a slightly lighter topic. What have you gone for here? Well, we spend a lot of time at work, so have a laugh and enjoy it. And I think that for me, when I was at Global, I, I went to Nottingham, as I mentioned before, to Capital East Midlands. And, uh, and the team, when I arrived there, were not in a great place for various different reasons. And so it had become this kind of place where people were turning up, doing the job, going home, and they weren't that bothered whether the job was great or not. There was a lack of passion, a lack of enthusiasm for, for what they were doing. And so been trying to kind of lighten the mood and make work a happy place to come to was one of the kind of major turning points because we are all at work and and I think when I go looked back at my career the times I was most successful were the happiest times and it wasn't I was happy because of the success it was because work was a happy place and as a result of that became successful uh, I think you know, many people focus on, oh, well, if we're doing all right, everyone will be great. It's not. If you get the kind of culture right in the first place, then the benefits in terms of performance follow that. It's an old maxim, isn't it? If you find a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. But what you described there in terms of the scenario in Nottingham is, I think it's one of the more difficult scenarios to walk into because you're talking about how a workforce engages with what they're doing i guess and it's once someone checks out it can sometimes be really difficult to check them back in again so how do you turn that ship around you mentioned before are you a kind of work on your gut and i and and, and i said yeah i was and I, I can't look back at those times and go i did this or i learned this in a handbook mm. and, and did it that way it was very much a kind of intuitive thing and some people had checked out and couldn't check back in. And and they, you know, it was a kind of having that conversation with them, which was, you can't please all the people all of the times to stop trying, which was like, okay, look, if this is not for you, then maybe it's better if you find somewhere that it is for you. And so you ine inevitably lose people that don't want to be a part of that culture. And actually when, you'll have come across them in social circles, uh, Jim, I'm sure, and, and in work as well, where they're almost like... Um, atmosphere vacuums where just when they walk into a room they suck the life out of it and um, once they go people start to lighten up and and really start to feel that they can relax and, and be themselves in the workplace and so it was taking people through that and then there are others who were in not a good place professionally and, and personally and I could sit down with them and say you know kind of look I've been there talk about my own experiences 
that I touched on before with my own kind of problems with mental health at the time and then be able to sit down have a conversation and say look I've been there and open up as a a leader for want of a better word I don't really like the expression but I can't think of another one but as a leader and kind of go look I've been there this is what happened to me if you want to talk I'm here to talk and and then once people kind of were like okay all right I get that then that sense of trust and belonging um that they were not going to be ridiculed for being where they were was really strong and, and it built a really good positive culture. Is there an element here? And I think this is particularly relevant in the audio, radio industries or any media for that matter, that sometimes, and we all have to do this, sometimes when you're having a bad day, you just have to take that step back and remind yourself how lucky you are doing what it is you are doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that was particularly during the pandemic and you see people who are working in healthcare and still working in healthcare and the challenges that they've got now or in any of the public services is like, you know, we are so fortunate to be people that are really creating content for entertainment and information that people want to be a part of. And, you know, you could be working in a, in an accounts office and on a personal level, I can't think of anything worse where, where there's nothing going on. And, it's hard sometimes to be able to say that, you know, without sounding like someone's parent, you know, oh, you know, you should consider what everyone else has got to go through and you're Never lucky to be so doing good. what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of thing. But you're right. And pointing that out or just getting someone to kind of you know, look in the mirror sometimes and go, actually, this is a great gig. And yes, there are frustrations, of course there are. And yes, there are things that you won't agree with all of the time. But by and large, we're in a great industry doing exciting things. And whilst it's changing all the time, that, yeah, change can be unsettling, but it also brings a lot of opportunity. So, you know, have a word with yourself. I think um, that last lesson as well feeds quite well into your next thing you've learned. Number four, what have you gone for? I've gone for... You get paid what your role is worth, not what you're worth. And I think people often uh, get the two things confused and you'll hear people talking about, oh, I'm not getting what I'm worth. I'm worth so much more than this. You need to be doing this, 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 and this. And, you know, if we take that every human life is priceless without getting too philosophical about it, then no one's paid what they're worth. And therefore, you're in a position where you look at the role that you've got, that's its worth to the organisation at the time. And if you feel that you're worth more than that, then that's kind of a decision for you to make. But it's not one to kind of shout to the people and go, look, I'm worth more than this because everybody is. It feels like it is a very radio lesson this one because it's not an industry people go into to get rich if you're going into radio to get rich then you're soon going to be getting out of it pretty quickly is there a bit of an issue here in terms of radio in general and i know it's a wider point you're making that you get paid for what the role is worth not what you're worth but radio is not an industry that unless you're incredibly lucky rewards you compared to maybe some of the other industries or jobs that are available to you and because of that Does it mean that A, radio doesn't always attract the best people or the best people move on elsewhere? And B, that actually the people who can get into radio in the first place, so the people who can join the industry on the lower levels of the ladder, are already 
people who have some element of privilege. So they have parents that can offer support, they can live at home, they've been to university. There's some kind of element there that gives them an advantage. Is that a barrier to offering equal opportunities and allowing people from an ethnic diverse background and a financially diverse background to get into the industry in the first place? Yeah. Are we getting the best people? No. And is it a barrier? Yes. And I think if we look at the tech industry, particularly at the moment, their desire, their quest, whether you're working for Meta or Amazon or Google or whatever, their desire to have the the very best talent available means that they're putting packages together that are incomparably, wonderfully incomparable to anything that you would get in radio largely. And so they are going all out to get the best talent. I think in radio, we kind of, I think there's a danger that uh, once upon a time when lots of people wanted to get into the industry and it, that people become a bit barze and it was that, well, if you don't get the job, then someone else will take it. If you don't want mm-hmm. it, fine, someone else will take it. And I think that there's a danger that we're not attracting the best talent. And it was something that I was pretty passionate about with when I was at the Radio Academy is what are we doing to attract people? We, if we look at the industry generally, at the audio industry, then organisations like the Student Radio Association, etc., are fantastic and do an awful lot of good to look at that pipeline of new talent in there. But what are we doing to kind of attract people that are not going to go to university, can't afford mm. to go to university, don't want to go to university, but are incredibly gifted content creators or in any of the different roles, be that journalism on the commercial side, marketing or whatever, what are we doing as an industry to engage with them? And when Radio Centre launched the Young Audio Awards a few years ago, I thought that was great because that was going beyond universities and into into schools and community groups to be able to look for that next stage of talent. And I think we need to do more of that. But that's just, that really just focused on on air talent and production talent. And really, what are we doing to attract the best commercial talent, the best marketing talent, when we're not just competing with other publishers and, and radio groups, but we're competing with those big tech organisations as well. And I think, I think it's something that the industry needs to wake up to, really. How does that happen then? Because, I mean, I'm sure you've had these conversations around the table in your role at the Radio Academy in the past, how the next generation comes in and how the bottom level of the ladder, which in most parts of the country has been removed and part of the the kind of mass networking of radio has resulted in there being less and less entry positions across the board commercially and from a programming point of view so is it like a complete rethink of the way the industry works and that kind of funnel feeds up that's needed yeah i think so because as you quite rightly say you know largely it's been everything's been moved to london uh, in a lot of cases and and people just can't afford it if you're from a working class background north of Watford and and you just can't afford unless you've got wealthy family or property and you can't afford to go down and do an internship or anything like that Mm. so it becomes really difficult and I do think it needs quite drastic rethinking of, of what we've got in place to be able to attract that talent because at the moment it's a major challenge but I, we talk about you can't please all of the people all the time so stop trying when i was at the radio academy and you've got all the vested interests of the different commercial groups and then sectors like community radio hospital radio the independent production companies the bbc etc 
a struggle to get everyone to be able mm. to think and work together to do things because inevitably people get into a competitive mindset and well we want to get the best talent uh, uh, over you so it becomes very inward thinking as opposed to what's the big bigger picture for the whole industry and and I, and I think that's the challenge is just getting everyone to work together with a common goal we've got one more to go what's your final lesson my final lesson is be real now authenticity is as a word that gets hijacked quite a lot but it's it it's really so important to me how you relate to others whether that be colleagues listeners because if you don't stand for something you'll fall for everything and i I went through a lot of change in the radio industry and we're, we're managing teams going through that change as companies consolidated and, and 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 took over different ones and one of the expressions that used to be trotted around all the time when you're going through these changes is business as usual and so you need to get the team together and just tell it's business as usual there's no changes yet yet we don't know what's going to happen in the future yada 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 and I genuinely couldn't stand up in front of people and say that because change was coming. It is coming. It's inevitable. We may all be working together in this building right now doing things, but chances are in a year to 18 months time, maybe even shorter than that, we won't be. And that's not something we can affect or control. So I used to talk about business as unusual (laughs) because they were unusual circumstances. And for me, having that sense of authenticity to be able to stand in front of people and go, look, I know I'm in the same position as you. I know what what's happening here, but going back to we're all at work, let's have some fun while we're doing it. The thing ties in together. Some of the most impressive broadcasters and communicators for me have been those ones who were authentic and real and stood for something and people could relate to that. Some people didn't like it and that's fine, but authenticity is is so important don't try and be someone that you're not do you have to sacrifice something in that case because in the scenario you describe it can be very difficult to toe a party line for want of a better word to be the company man when you're in that leadership position and also to be authentic to the people that you were supposed to be leading so you have to make a sacrifice somewhere don't you you have to let one of those things slide yeah yeah, you do. Um, and uh, for me, my personal integrity was the thing that I couldn't let slide because I tried to, I've suffered over the years with imposter syndrome, Jim, and still do. And so trying to be something that I am not just made that imposter syndrome worse. Mm. And so um, I, I, I've talked about this before in terms of that expression, faking it until you make it kind of yeah okay i see what people are saying with that but actually in me it created a lot of inner turmoil as as i grew older one side sort of come to terms with that and and that it was my personal integrity that was most important then what did i sacrifice i probably sacrificed advancement in my career and certainly uh, sacrificed financially because of it but it was not a price i was prepared to pay it sounds like something that's pretty significant for you, pretty important for you personally. Is this where the idea for the podcast that you currently do for real comes from? Because that's all about finding your voice, which I guess is all tied to the idea of authenticity. And it's something that I think 
particularly from a radio point of view, you don't necessarily come to, to in later life. I've, like I said, 25 years making radio. I don't think I found my voice as an individual, as a presenter, and maybe until five, six years ago. So does it all tie into that, the idea of this for real podcast? Yeah, absolutely. When I left Bauer in 2021 last year, I started just putting some posts on LinkedIn. A friend of mine had said, oh, you got to put some bits and pieces on LinkedIn. Uh, I thought, what have I got to say? Why is anyone interested in what I've got to say? But okay. So I did a couple of posts and it got a little bit. And then once I started to open up about my experiences and and what I'd learned and people were going oh my god I kind of struggled with that and it's great to hear someone talk about it in this way and so as I mentioned at the start friends kind of said well you maybe ought to look at doing a podcast featuring on that and that's for real came about because of that but I didn't want it to be just me going on (laughs) about what I thought and what what some of the people I've worked with in radio and in the wider communications industry what are their challenges what have they been through people like you Jim we say you you find your voice later on in, Mm. in life as you become more comfortable in who you are and what you're about but if we could share any knowledge with people that are starting out earlier to be able to find their voice their authentic self sooner whether that be in radio but actually just generally in life to have the confidence to be who they really are and a friend said to me just imagine if you could the gift that you've got to be able to kind of leave that on record if you like for your own family and friends and so I wasn't sure whether it would ever get to a wider audience but if it it was just something that could help one person be comfortable in who they are and what they're about then that'd be fantastic has there been a moment within that podcast yet a conversation you've had that's kind of been an enlightening moment for yourself that you've just kind of twigged and gone oh oh yeah i get it now yeah yeah i think there has i mean we're still early on in uh, in the series we, sure. we've uh, published the first one the second episode featuring a guy called mike cass is this week and then the wonderful Stephanie Hurst is is one that's uh, in the can for a little bit down further down the road in a few weeks' time. But each of the guests that I've had, whether that be Nikki, Mike, uh, Steph, and others I'm going to speak to, I kind of know their stories anyway, and they're people mm. that have inspired me over the years. Whether they knew they were inspiring me or just they inspired me through who they were as people, and and therefore I want to be able to kind of get that out of them we do this thing at the end of it called uh, the Columbo moment that can't just one more thing that one last thing and if we can have that one takeaway for the listener to be able to go okay that helped then that's great for me but yeah they've all been amazing and for anyone that doesn't know Stephanie Hurst's story then um, I mean wow talk about Mm -hmm. finding your real self and authenticity that's that's just amazing story well, the link to the podcast is in the podcast description here. So it sounds like some fascinating conversations to come there. And I love the fact that a podcast about finding your voice and finding your authenticity came out of conversations on LinkedIn, which I think is undoubtedly one of the least authentic places you could possibly find <laughs> anywhere. Uh, That's Roger, maybe why it resonated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe it cut through. That's it. That's a secret. Yeah. Roger, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much for sharing your five lessons from radio on Sound Business. 
Thanks for having me, Jim. I really appreciate it. See you soon. Thank you very much for listening to today's VoiceWorks Sound Business. Like I say, this five things I learned from radio series will be popping up from time to time. But if you've got someone you think who'd be a great guest on this series who I should talk to, then do get in touch. You can do that via the VoiceWorks Twitter, VoiceWorks AI. Plus, as mentioned a moment ago, all the links to Roger's new podcast, the For Real podcast, with some of the great guests he mentioned, can be found in the podcast description of this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure you have subscribed so you get the next episode of Sound Business as soon as it's out. And for more information on how VoiceWorks can help you with your podcasting and audio strategy, visit the website, voiceworks.ai.